Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, I hope you've got your Bible turned there. We'll read the first seven verses in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, the Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep this, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and in you all. We'll stop right there. Father, we ask You this morning, God, if You would, that You'd meet with us in this place today. Thank You, Lord, for allowing us to come to Your house. And God, I truly mean that this morning. God, there's nowhere on earth I'd rather be than right here in this place this morning. God, I ask if You would, Lord, please, let Your Spirit meet with us. God, help us to be united, God, in our, our understanding of the importance of this hour. God, I pray, Lord, help us to focus singularly on the Word of God and the Spirit of God in this place this morning. God, I know, Lord, that I am flesh. God, that I am weak. God, I know that in me there dwells no good thing, but God, I have You. I ask You this morning, if You would, God, help me to preach with power. Help me to preach, Lord, with unction from the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, help these people to listen with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Help them to receive it, God, not as the misings of some man, but God, as the Word that we've been given, the inspired Bible, God, that You've delivered to us, preserved and precious. God, I pray, please help us to see You this morning. We love You. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. We've been talking about the unity of the Spirit. Uh, this is the fourth message that the Lord has given me on this thought of unity in the Spirit. In the text we read, talks about how that we have one body, we are one body, there is one body, and one, capital S, Spirit. We talked about this Spirit and uh, three messages previously on the witness of the Spirit, how that, that for us to have a true witness, we cannot be witness of ourself, but that we have to have the witness of the Spirit. And not only the witness of the Spirit, but the witness of the Spirit and the Word of God. And how that before God and before law, nothing should be accepted by the mouth of one witness, but we need at least two and three when we can get it. Then we saw the way of the Spirit, how that we are to follow the leadership of the Spirit, and how that the Spirit will always lead us toward Christ and speak only of Christ 
and never of himself, and that the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit will never disagree. And that if you're being led in a way that is contrary to the Word of God and is away from Christ, it is never the right spirit. And then last, not this past, but the one before on Wednesday night, I preached uh, on the wrong spirits and how that there are false, seducing, and lying spirits that are here for the purpose of leading you astray, and that as a Christian, you must understand how to try the spirits, put them on trial, and know when you're being led by an evil spirit, something that's trying to lie to you, and when you're being led by the Holy Spirit. But as we're closing this idea of unity in the Spirit, I felt compelled by the Lord uh, that it would be wrong, we would be amiss, if you will, if we were to discuss the Holy Spirit and our unity in the Spirit and not discuss the thought of worshiping in the Spirit. The fact is that worship is something that is beyond the human capability. When it comes to worshiping God, worship is something that our human minds and our human bodies and even our human spirit are incapable of in themselves. They just don't have uh, what it takes because the human spirit is, is often called indomitable, which is to say that it can't be beaten down and that it can't be defeated. But I want to submit to you today that the human spirit can be defeated. The human spirit, in fact, more often than being defeated, prefers to give up. Amen. And we like to talk about feats of bravery and courage, and I would submit to you that any time there have been true, amazing feats of superhuman courage, it was not done by human spirit, but by supernatural spirit. When we talk about worship in the spirit, we're talking about this in the purview of unity. And the fact is, there are a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts and a lot of things that are said all across the world and across the country concerning worship and what worship really is. But can I tell you this morning that the only authority on worship is the Word of God. <clears throat> it is not our culture. Amen. It is not your preference or what you like and what you don't like. Worship is uh, defined and clearly explained in the Word of God. And I, I don't want to take too long this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. If you've got your Bible, please turn with me to the book of John chapter 4, and we'll read a few verses here, uh, and then I want to speak to you first about the true meaning of worship. In John chapter 4, we have the account, if you will, <clears throat> of the woman at the well, how that Jesus uh, was departing uh, from Judea unto Galilee. And in verse 4 of John chapter 4, it tells us that he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Verse number 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? 
for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Here we have an example of a human uh, clearly missing the point. Amen. Because humanity lacks the ability to discern between those things that are spiritual and those things that are carnal. Amen. It's the same uh, issue that, J- that Jesus encountered in the previous chapter with Nicodemus when he told him, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. And how Nicodemus said, how is a man to enter again into his mother's womb? He missed the point. He was looking at it from a man's viewpoint, from a physical and carnal viewpoint, when the Lord was obviously speaking of spiritual things. And the Lord told him that day, that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. Amen. And here he is talking to this woman again, and she thought he meant real water, physical water from the earth. Here in this well, verse 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever uh, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and whom thou hast, and whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, this woman is now trying to talk to Jesus about doctrine and about the Bible and about spiritual things. We know that our fathers worshipped here in this mountain, and ye say, the Jews say, uh, that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Under this idea, first we're going to speak of the true meaning of worship. Let me submit to you under this thought that we have to understand something. Uh, We, many people today, are in the same place as this Samaritan woman. She was trying to expound on worship to God. And God stepped back and looked at everything she said and explained to her how that, first of all, she knew nothing about worship. Second of all, she didn't even know what she was worshiping. And that thirdly, soon, and even now, he said, even today is the time, even now the hour has come, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. And so when we look at this idea of worship, you might first I want to define it to you. I want you to understand what exactly is the worship that Jesus is talking about. What is worship? And if I were to ask today and, and ask some people from the congregation, how would you define worship? What is it? There are a lot of different ideas about what it is. But let me first of all tell you this, that true worship is demeaning. True worship is demeaning. Now that word demeaning has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Because that word demeaning, when something is demeaning to you, it's something that makes you feel worthless. It's something that makes you feel low and looked down on, like you're lesser. Like when someone would say something about you in public that was embarrassing, and it, well, that just feels demeaning. Or I, recently I was at a meeting and uh, Brother Curtis Cravens, pastor of that church, asked me if I'd be willing to play the piano for him for congregational singing. I said, sure, brother. And he said, is that demeaning? Because I, I'm a pastor. Or, and I said, no. Why would it be demeaning to have the opportunity to serve God? Uh, and, and that's the way that we ought to view it. But the fact is, work, true worship is demeaning. The word worship, if you look it up here in the Bible, the word that the Lord Jesus used, and you can go back to the, uh, to the original translation, and I don't often do that, but it does agree with what we have in terms of Webster's 1828. They both agree. This word worship refers to like a dog licking his master's hand. It means to fawn over, to kiss, to literally or figuratively prostrate oneself in homage to reverence and to adore. Amen. Uh, you ever had a dog? Or maybe you've got a dog right now, and when you come home, the dog acts like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of all existence? Amen. When you get out of your vehicle and you approach the house, and that dog comes running up, we used to have a boxer, and uh, she would jump up on you, and I hated that. But she would always do that, and when we would come home, she was so excited just that we were there. Just that, she, that we were in her presence was the best thing that had happened to her all day. A pat on the head was equivalent to the greatest gift that you could possibly give her. And that is the type of comparison that is drawn when the Lord Jesus uses this word in the Bible uh, which is to refer to worship that is like unto a dog licking his master's hand. Webster's defines it as to adore, to divine, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration. Now, we often think of worship, if we were to say, man, we had a great worshiping service this morning, uh, oftentimes we refer to this. When the song gets going good, like it did a minute ago, and there's a few hands going across the crowd. Maybe not everybody, even though it probably should have been. Both hands raised and voice crying out. And you'll hear some amen and hallelujah and those things. But can I tell you that that's not true worship. True worship is not standing and holding up hands and lifting out and hollering out. That's praise. Praise and worship are two different things. Now, if you get to worshiping, there will probably at some point be some praise involved. But can I tell you that if all it is is this, it's never truly worship. True worship 
is demeaning. You know somebody who was really good at true worship in John chapter 3 and verse 28? John chapter 3 and verse 28, 28, we have John the Baptist speaking about the Lord Jesus. He said this, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before Him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. That comparison there of the bridegroom and the one who's standing there who rejoiceth. Why? Because he hears the bridegroom's voice. That's the only thing that's making him rejoice is just hearing the bridegroom's voice. It's much like what I just described when you'd come home and your dog would be leaping, just, man, just so excited just to see you. That is the way that John the Baptist is describing the friend of the bridegroom. That just hearing his voice makes his joy well up inside of him and that he would rejoice because he just hears his voice. And then he says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. That is true worship. Something that is demeaning is something that lowers you. True worship is demeaning. True worship takes place when someone isn't the loudest and most boisterous. And by the way, can I tell you this morning, I'm for that. And I'm not telling you you shouldn't holler amen. And I'm not telling you to shout and raise your hands toward heaven. I'm just telling you that there's a difference between praise and worship. I may be breaking everything. I don't know what's going on. We see true worship is demeaning. Then I want you to see this. True worship is desired. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, Then Jesus said unto him, when, when Satan came to tempt the Lord, Jesus turned to him and said, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Psalm 22 and verse 3 says this, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. There what we see is, we see two things. We see praise, and we see worship, and we see the Lord wants both of them. Amen. The Lord desires that we would worship Him. It is desired. Uh, in fact, in our verses that we read there in John chapter 4, there at verse number 4 it said, God is a spirit. They that worship Him must uh, worship in spirit and truth. In verse 23 it said this, The Father seeketh such to worship Him. The Lord is looking for people who will worship Him. Now, He wants us to praise Him. But He's looking for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. True worship is desired. It is something that God wants from us. You know what God wants? He wants us to love Him. He wants us to adore Him, to hold Him in high regard, to lower ourselves before Him, to worship Him in the spirit and in truth. It is something that He wants us to do that is not some simple thing that He can just get from anywhere. Can I tell you right now that not everybody worships the Lord in spirit and truth? Not everybody is giving Him true worship that He desires. Not everybody is doing it the way He wants it done. And not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is truly His. Amen. Those Pharisees drew near to the Lord Jesus and they called Him Master with their lips, but the Lord said their hearts were far from Him. 
There is no true worship that comes from the lips only. True worship is demeaning. True worship is desired. Then I want you to see the design of true worship. We're talking about the true meaning of worship. The design of true worship is this. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. True worship takes place within a child of God through the spirit and truth. We see the achievement of true worship happens like this. It comes from deep within. True worship does not happen right here. True worship happens in here. I mean, you can say it as many times as you want to say it. Lord, 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 Lord. But not everybody that says Lord, Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You can come in here and you can look the part and you can sound the part and you can do all the things. You can follow each step. We can get up. Miss Brandy can come to the piano and she can play Are You Washed in the Blood? And we can stand and we can all sing. And you should. But that's not true worship. Just doing it is not true worship. True worship is not something that comes from a man within himself. True worship is something that is only done in spirit and in truth. Now we're talking, and what we've been preaching on these last uh, couple months is unity in the spirit. And when we talk about the spirit, we're talking about a person. The Holy Spirit. Are you all still with me this morning? The Holy Spirit. Say, amen. Well, I'm saved. Amen. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The capital S Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. Every man is born with a spirit inside of him. Amen. And when the Holy Spirit moves in, He communes and witnesses and communicates with your spirit. The only way that your spirit can worship God is through the Spirit. Amen. The only way that a man who is lifted up in pride and who is consumed with sin and who the Bible says has no good in him can worship God in spirit and in truth is if he has the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. When you're you're saved, when you've been saved, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God inhabits you. He dwells within you. He lives in you. And that Holy Spirit that lives in you bears witness with your spirit that you are the Son of God. He is the one that gives us security, and comfort in our salvation. Amen. He's the one that gives us the joy of the Lord. He's the one that convicts us and chastises us when we sin. He's the one that speaks to our heart. That's Him. And when those children got up this morning and they began to sing, My God is real, in the building, there were some people who in their spirit felt the communication of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, when they began to speak about Jesus, how Jesus saved me at that old altar when I bowed my knee, grace and mercy 
the Spirit of God inside some of your hearts began to bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And what happens in that moment is you begin to experience that well of water springing up unto everlasting life. And that's what it feels like, isn't it? It feels like a spring of life in your chest. The realness of God, that the Holy Spirit, that true worship of the Holy Spirit is designed that it can only be achieved by the Holy Spirit. It's God, let me put it like this, it's God in you creating worship toward Him. It's God in you. He starts cranking up that fire in your heart and in your spirit. and You begin to experience the joy of the Lord and that joy begins to come out and sometimes that joy comes out through praise. But can I tell you what those most meaningful moments of worship are? It's not when everybody else is doing it and you get in on it. But it's when you hear the voice of God in your own heart speaking to you and that Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit. Let me give you this and then we'll move on quickly. We see the design of true worship. First, the achievement of it. It can only be achieved through the Holy Spirit. The only people on earth with the ability to worship God in spirit and in truth are those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit the children of God. Then we see the availability of it. As Jesus came before this woman and He began to speak of her of living water and she said, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And the Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. And the Lord spoke to her and He said, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what, and you know we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Listen, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The only thing that woman talked about in verse 20 were places. Worldly places where they felt they had to go to worship God. And Jesus said, the hour's coming where you're not going to be in the mountain and you're not going to be in the temple in Jerusalem. The hour's coming when all the true worshipers shall worship God in the Spirit and in truth. Amen. It's something that was going to happen and the place wasn't going to matter. Aren't you glad that our God isn't confined to these four walls and that you can worship Him at home and that you can worship Him in the prayer closet, you can worship Him in your car and you can worship Him at work and He can come to where you're at and that you don't have to go to some man and and ask that man to get through to God for you because Jesus Christ is our high priest. Amen? Aren't you glad of the availability of worship is that anywhere, everywhere in the world, it said, the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Say, well, who are the true worshipers? It's the children of God. It's the born-again Christians of God. They are the true worshipers. Worshippers. When true worship starts going on, Christians, saved people, won't be bored. Amen. Listen to me. When true worship is going on, and you say, Brother Paul, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, there's one thing you won't be, and that's bored. Now, you might not be getting in on it, 
Because you might be so wrong with God that you can't even see straight. That you won't be bored. If there's a Spirit of God inside of you, He is an everlasting spring of life. Amen. And He's either in there, or He was never there to begin with. There are only two options. You realize that, right? There is no, He was here for a while, but now He's gone. No, He's either in there, or He was never there to begin with. And the fact is this, when true worship is going on, the thing you will not experience is apathy and disconcern and don't care and just I might as well be anywhere else in the world. You'll either be in on it or you'll feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that you're not where you need to be. And the reason you can't get in on it is because you're empty in your heart because you know that you're not right with God. Amen. We see the design of true worship. Let me move on. Secondly, talk about the true method of worship. Now I told you there is a difference between worship and praise, but that praise is often involved in true worship. So we'll look at that here. First, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Let me give you this. Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, we have a, another very common, a very common occurrence. And can I tell you, there's no better place to learn about true worship than from the Lord Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 7, we have another commonly referenced passage in, chapter 30, in verse number 36 of Luke chapter 7. Verse 36 says, One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who... And what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. Verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed them, she has washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Jesus comes to a fancy dinner. You better believe if there was a fancy dinner in Jerusalem, it was at the Pharisees' house. Because they just felt like they were fancy. Fancy dinner, highfalutin, bunch of people probably sitting around, no doubt some other brethren here from the Pharisees. He's there and he's sitting down to dinner and he's 
putting on all the pomp and circumstance. And this woman comes following Him in. This sinner woman, first we see she heard that the Lord was in town. And the fact that she heard tells me she's probably looking for Him. Because it says when she knew that Jesus was in the when she knew that Jesus sat at meet with the Pharisees, she didn't even think. She just went right to his house, come walking in behind him, and immediately began to weep and fall down at his feet. We see that she heard. Then I want you to see her heart. Her heart is bared before the Lord in verse number thirty-eight, when it says she stood and stood at his feet behind him, weeping began to wash his feet with tears, did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. You see her weeping? You see her tears? Do you see the offering that she's brought before the Lord? This alabaster box that was worth a lot of money? Do you see it? Do you think she had a heart for God? Do you think she cared about what was going on? Do you think she recognized the importance of who he was when she came into that place? Do you think that her heart was toward God or because she wanted Him to do something for her? Do you see her asking for anything? She didn't come and say, Lord, I'm blind. Give me my sight. She didn't come and say, Lord, I'm lame on my feet. Will you give me my my strength? Lord, my daughter is sick. And And those things happen and those are fine. She didn't say any of those things. She walks behind Him, weeping. She falls down on His feet and begins to wash them with her tears. We see she heard, we see her heart, and we see her humility. Can I, can I get you to see this clearly? The Lord's feet were not clean. Due to the custom of the day, the fact is the Lord's probably wearing some sort of a sandal walking on dirt roads. You ever wear flip-flops and go to the beach? It's gross, isn't it? And there's a difference in that sand at the beach and that dusty, dry earth that they're walking around on. There's no telling when the last time the Lord is that He had His feet washed. It was custom a lot of times at these places where they would would have servants there to wash the feet of guests when they would come in so that they didn't track their dirty feet through the house. But there was no one there to wash His feet except this woman. She doesn't have a towel and she doesn't have a water basin. Amen. I, I look around, I don't know some of you ladies today who's got the longest hair. Odds are this woman, based on where they are, probably had dark hair. And she's come weeping. She doesn't have any water. She doesn't have anything like that. She has her tears. And she cries enough. Now, have you ever cried? And it felt like you were just going to dehydrate on tears. You ever seen somebody get up from the altar and there's just a wet spot? You ever seen that? Because their heart just poured out to God. For her to have enough water, tears coming out her eyes to wash this man's dirty feet, our Lord's dirty feet, she had to be doing some real crying. She didn't have a little single tear, little watery eyes. She was pouring out her tears on his feet. And she didn't take her clothes. She didn't take her hands. She took her hair. And she washed his feet. You see her humility? 
This man, Simon he's called, brought the Lord in and gave him a nice meal, put him at the table. They're here to talk about the Word of God or, or whatever else it may be. That man, his heart is far from him. The moment that woman keeps washing his feet, he says in his heart it says, not out loud, in his heart, if this man were a prophet, he'd send her away because he wouldn't want that kind of woman touching him. We said, there's two people here. One of them looks nice. He's got his head held up. He's giving the Lord a nice meal, being kind to him. And the other is a sobbing mess on the floor. And only one of them is worshiping. True worship, honestly, it leaves you a mess. True worship leaves you a mess. Amen. Some of you ladies know true worship. You get in the house of God and the Spirit begins to move and, and suddenly you look like you've got clown makeup on. Amen? Some of you ladies, you've got the eyeliner or, or whatever it may be and it's just running down and you're trying to... Because true worship leaves you a mess. It wears you out. Any of you ever worship the Lord? I mean truly worship God and just get down low? You notice where this woman's at, right? You know where she's at? She is all, she's down low enough that her tears are on his feet and she's kissing them. You don't get much lower than that. She's worshiping him. She's worshiping him. Now, this Pharisee, he might be saying nice things about him, he might be offering him some praise. That woman right there, she's worshiping Him. Can I tell you that true worship is demeaning? It's so demeaning that this man said he shouldn't even let her touch Him. And he said, did you give me something to wash my feet? Have you kissed me? Have you given any ointment and anointed my head? No. But she has. True worship is demeaning. It's a lowering. It's not this. It's this. It's getting down, putting yourself down before God and saying, God, I'm nothing and you're everything. God, I have nothing, but you have everything. Lord, I deserve death. God, the only reason I live is because of your grace and your mercy. God, the only reason that I have joy is because you love me. The only reason that I live is because you love me. It's a lowering of yourself. Do you see it? Do you see the lowering of yourself? You see your head low, your hands low, your body low, and your heart low? Do you see that? Can you see that it is a demeaning thing? Can I tell you, true worship does not take place up here. It takes place down there. You wonder why God doesn't speak in your heart, but you don't lower. You wonder why God doesn't move on your behalf, but you don't lower. You hold your head up, and your back straight. You do this, and you do that, and you look the part. And in the story, you're the Pharisee. But what we need to be is the sinner woman. We need to be the sinner woman who looked at Christ and said, I have been forgiven 
so much that I would give him all I have. You see it? True worship. The method of true worship is the worship of prostration. It is laying yourself out before God like a beggar. Amen? Like a beggar. I once heard a man in church say, said he was a Christian, said he'd been saved, said, I don't bow when I pray because I don't bow to anybody. You will never, ever, ever experience true worship until you bow at an altar. Amen. The worship of prostration. Then we see the worship of praise. and We'll close here. We're talking about the unity of the Spirit in worshiping in the Spirit. There's a lot of prevailing ideas today about what we need to do to up the ante in our worship. But that's not worship. There's things we need to do to upgrade our praise. Can I tell you what we need to do? Look at the Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. Solomon has made a house for the Lord, and it was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments, and he put among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of children of Israel, unto Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month, and all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. They brought up the ark in the tabernacle of the congregation, and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle did. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. Look down at verse number 12. Also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Judithan, uh, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests surrounding with trumpets. It came even to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as what? I want you all to say that with me. It came to pass, as the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Can I tell you something? True worship will produce true praise. Waving your arms in the air and swaying side to side doesn't impress God. What impresses God is the lowering and the humility of a man in his heart and a woman in her heart who has lowered herself before God and that would raise their hands and cry out to God because they are so overcome with the joy of the Lord. 
Look at what we've got here. You see the place. Where, where did they go? And, and I just said this a minute ago, I'm thankful that you can worship God anywhere. But there's one place where it's, it's, it, it ought to be easy to worship God. There's one place where when you come, there should be some worship involved in you every time you... Are y'all listening to me this morning? Every time that you go. Well, you know what we call Sunday morning service? Worship service. That's a false name, a misnomer, if we come to His house and don't worship. Amen. And not every time do we come and it become this like it is here, right here. But can I tell you, sometimes it should. Sometimes come to church ought to be like it was here. When the glory of the Lord so fills the house that the ministers can't minister. Amen. It's one of them, they call it those can't help it type services. Amen. And we've had those services here in this church where the Spirit of God has moved through and people have begun to praise the Lord and, and people start going to the altar, amen, and, and abasing themselves and lowering themselves before God. And, and in their hearts, their, their eyes begin to flow with tears like that woman there in the book of John and, and, and in the book of Luke chapter 7. And all these things are going on because true worship produces true praise. It's not a type of it. It's the real thing. We don't need to fabricate it. Amen. We don't need to put it on and practice and, and have it. What we need is we need true worship, and true worship will produce true praise. But can I tell you this? You know what we don't need? That one doing it, and this one doing it, and that one doing it. We need one voice, one people, and one worship. You know why the glory came down like it did? Because they all came together and worshiped God in unity and praise. We see the place. We see the pieces. You've got the ark of God there. You've got the word of God. You've got the priests. You've got the musicians. Everybody's in their place. Everybody's there. You don't hear that Solomon said, we're all going to meet, but only, only two-thirds of them showed up. Amen. Everybody is there, every piece is in its place, and everybody is focusing on God. And then all them, they begin to play their harps and their psalteries and their cymbals, and they begin to cry out and sing. It says the singers were as one to make one sound. And we see their praise. You know what their praise is? It says it here. It literally says it right there in verse 13. They praised the Lord saying, For He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. One sound, you know what that one sound did? Lifted up God and lowered themselves. He must increase. We must decrease. That's why, you know what these men and these people that had their harps and their cymbals and their trumpets, you know what they weren't doing? Performing. They're not performing. They're not putting on a show. They don't have a set list. And they don't have a, 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 you know, a, a big party out to see them, congregation. What they have is they've got their instrument and they've got their eyes on God. And they've got their hearts on God. And there's been people praying and there's been people lowering themselves. You better believe these people had humility. You know how I know? 
Because the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You think His glory is going to fill that place up with a cloud to a bunch of proud people lifted up in their hearts? You see the power. The house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. The reason that our churches are not seeing days like this of true praise is because we're not having moments of true worship. The reason that you're not experiencing the glory and the power of God in your heart and in your life the way that you have or you've seen or you want is because you're not committing true worship. You want to feel the joy of the Lord springing up? Worship God. True worship's demeaning. It's you, in a way, making a fool of yourself. I'll give you this illustration and we'll be done. <clears throat> when I was, I think, 15... I went to New Manus camp meeting in Marion, North Carolina. My uncle's the pastor there now. He was not then. I might have been 14. 14 and real dumb. Amen. Just like every other 14-year-old. There's just something in here. It's just a block. You just do crazy things when you're 14, don't you? I'm sitting in church. A man by the name of Harry Nix is the pastor of that church at the time. <clears throat> I'm sitting on the front pew. And the glory of the Lord filled that place probably in a way that I hadn't really ever experienced before that. I mean, people are just running and shouting and hollering. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it was dangerous in there for a minute. I'll just tell you. <clears throat> and as a 14-year-old boy called to preach, sitting there, standing there, we were singing. There's a group by the name of the Rochesters. I don't know if, if you know many of y'all know them or not. They're a bluegrass gospel group. They were there singing. I have no idea what they were singing. They sang and sang, and I mean that place was just worshiping God. People were on the altar. People were just going to the altar and getting up and going to the altar and getting up and going to the altar and getting up. It's been going on for over an hour. And uh, things kind of like started to wind down. And I had uh, <clears throat> I, I had been on the altar and I'd been standing and praising the Lord. And I felt the Lord speak to my heart. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of a little reluctant to say this because it almost sounds super spiritual, but I just knew I was supposed to sing this song. The song is called City of Refuge. I didn't play the piano at that time. I didn't play the guitar at 14. Uh, but I knew I was supposed to sing this song. As far as I knew, nobody in the, in the house knew the song. My Aunt Tammy was there with me. She's sitting right behind me. This group, the Rochesters, and, and just to put it in perspective, there's about 900 people there probably that night. Uh, it's a pretty large church. And uh, I just get up, walk up on the stage. I think back now and I think, man, what a dummy. Who did you think you were? The truth is, I just felt so confident that this is exactly what God wanted that I just pff, let go. And I walked up there as this group is putting their you know, guitar and mandolin or whatever down. Walked up Brother Harry Nix, who didn't really know me. His youth pastor was my uncle. Big deal. Shook his hand, 
hugged him, said, I've got a song on my heart. You don't do that in a church full of 900 people where you're a stranger. And in that moment, if I was that pastor, I said, amen, God bless you. Um, not right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Service is going well. Here comes this strange boy I don't know. He's going to try and commandeer the service. Uh, but that's what, that's what I did. And uh, he said, okay. What a man of full of grace, I'll tell you what. He said, Who's gonna, are you going to play the song? Someone going to play for you? I said, nope, I'm just going to sing it. Acapella. And he said, are you sure? And in that moment, he was teetering. I believe he's teetering on the edge of whether or not this was going to be a huge mistake. And I said, I'm sure. And uh, him and his mercy and grace let me step up to the pulpit, just a mic kind of like this one. I said, the Lord's laid this song on my heart, and if I don't sing it, you know, I, I'm gonna, uh, I, I've got to sing it. And I began to sing. And halfway through the first verse, Tammy came walking up behind me, and she began to sing with me. It's a good thing she did, because I just stopped singing in the chorus. And what happened in the church was when things had started to kind of go down a little bit in the praise, and it kind of started to level off, and Brother Harry was thinking, we're probably just going to have somebody come preach. It cranked up to, to a level it hadn't reached before. I've never seen people worship God and praise God the way that they did at that point in that service right then. The Lord used me to do that. If He were to speak to me today and tell me to do that in a place like that, the God's honest truth is, I would almost certainly say, Lord, I'm not doing that. Amen? Because, man, you'd think... To think on it, you say, well, who's that guy think he is? Man, that young man had so much pride and cocky and he thought that. No, the honest to God truth is this. It was awful. I sounded like garbage. I cried the whole time. I literally started shouting and stopped singing. Left Tammy standing there singing, singing harmony with no lead. It was a mess. But the chorus says, one day I ran to a city of refuge. So guilty I was, I found shelter in the blood that He shed for me. And when I sang that line, that I mean, it was like a nuclear bomb went off in that church. Because people became so over, overcome with worship and praise that was real. And can I tell you, it wasn't because of me. It's like I wasn't even there. Whether in the body or out of the body, I know not. That was me. I'm telling you, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what happened. I, I don't know how... How in the world I did that? That's not something I would do. I'd never done anything like that before, and I'd never do anything like it after. It was like the Lord just picked me up and did it. And can I tell you right now, we can have that sort of stuff today. People like to say, man, you know, you just don't see those meetings like we used to. You know what will bring meetings like we used to have? True worship. People who are not worried about how they sound and how they look and just like that woman who bowed down and washed his feet with her hair, she didn't care one bit what that Pharisee thought about her, so long as she could just, just worship her God. And that's what we need. In Calvary Road Baptist Church, we need people who are willing to get out of their pew and abase themselves before God. Amen. Kneel down at His feet. Kiss His feet. Amen. Worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. And that will produce true praise. We've got to forsake pride. We've got to forsake being seen. Who cares if you're seen? Who cares if I'm seen? The only thing that matters 
is that He is lifted up. He must increase. We must decrease. We want to worship in the Spirit. We want to worship God. We want the cloud. So I'll tell you, sometimes I like to see the cloud come down in here. Come in here, and them kids get up and start singing like they did, and this place go off like a nuclear bomb. Wouldn't that be something? Say, ah, that sort of stuff just don't happen anymore. Sure it does. He's the same God. All we've got to do is worship Him in the Spirit and in truth. Let's all stand. Miss Brandy, if you wouldn't mind coming to the piano. Let me encourage you this morning. True worship happens on your knees. I think some of us, it's been so long since we abased ourselves that we've got cold, we've got dry. In church, it's just a it's a it's a process, it's a method. We've got the we've got the just like they did there in First Chronicles, we've got the, the musicians in their place and the ones singing in their place, but our hearts are far from him. It's real simple. Do you want to worship God? Do you want God to move in your heart like He once did? Do you want Him to move in this church like He, like he has? And we want to see it more. And we want, to, we want to see God doing miraculous things in this church. And we want to see the cloud come down. And we want to see the glory come down. Then it's going to happen first on your knees. It's going to happen first when you, not, not me, not Brother Joe, not, not your husband, not your wife, not that one, not this one, you lower yourself before God. Worship Him. Be the woman lowering herself down, kissing His feet, and washing His feet with her tears. Be that one. Don't be the Pharisee. Sitting in your pew and looking the part, holding your head high. Lower yourself. Prostrate yourself before God and ask Him. Our God in heaven, Lord, we thank You. Thank You, Lord, for all You do. Thank You, God, for all that You've done. Thank You, God, for the cross. Thank You, God, Lord, for sending Your Son to die for our sins. Thank You, Lord Jesus, God, for being obedient, Lord, all the way to the death of the cross. Thank You, Holy Spirit, God, for, for speaking to us, for welling up in our hearts, for giving us that joy, giving us that comfort, and giving us that peace. God, thank You. Lord, I pray this morning, please, speak to the hearts of Your people. God, I pray, please, well up a spring of life. God, if, if, if the hearer under my voice is a child of God, I pray, please, let the Spirit speak in their heart. God, help us to recognize the need for true worship. Help us to recognize the need for worship in this church. Help us to recognize the need for worship, God, in our homes. God, our children need to see us, Lord, kneeling down. God, they need to see us, Lord, crying great tears of worship, God. Lord, help us, Lord, to decrease, Lord, that You might increase. Help us, God, Lord, to, to raise You up, Lord, and to lower ourselves. Lord, God, how we need You. God, how unworthy are we, Lord, that You would be mindful of us, God. How unworthy are we, God, that You'd come down to where we are, Lord, that You'd save us, God, that You'd bless us, Lord, that You'd 
Count us faithful, God, putting us, Lord, into the ministry here in this church and using us, God. Lord, meeting with us as You have, speaking to us as You have. God, I pray, please, help us, God, to worship You in spirit and in truth. God, not with a, not with a facade, not a type, Lord, not a kind or an image, Lord, of worship, but God, true worship, God. Help us to abase ourselves and to give You of ourselves. God, we thank You for all that You do. We praise You. We worship You in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.